Hello and welcome to episode 284 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Today's episode is exactly why I'm interested in true crime. It was just a normal evening and then suddenly everything changed. Although the violence took literally seconds, so many lives were ruined forever. This episode is sponsored by Typology. In the last decade, I've become much more sensible about covering up in the sun, but I do like that tanned feel, don't you? Mind you, I was always put off by self-tanning products, as I've seen so many people with streaks and, well, it's that smell, isn't it? Not nice at all. But to say I was pleasantly surprised by the Typology Progressive Self-Tanning Serum is an understatement. The tan effect was lovely and very even, and from application the tanning effect was progressive. It took about six hours to fully come through, and it looked, well, natural, really natural. Probably because the active cell tanning ingredients in this serum are 100% natural and vegan friendly. And thank goodness there is no smell at all. It is completely fragrance free. I loved it and will now use it regularly. If you want to try the self-tanning serum, I have an exclusive gift for you. You will receive a free nine-ingredient lip balm if you order the self-tanning serum or any other product. Just go to typology.com, add the nine-ingredient lip balm to your cart, and use the code TRUECRIME at checkout. There are limited quantities available, so get your self-tanning serums now. They're exclusively available at www.typology.com and don't forget to use the code TRUECRIME. This episode is sponsored by Crime Time Games. Do you think you could catch a serial killer? You've watched and listened to enough true crime, so here's your opportunity. One of the games available is the M25 serial killer case, where several women have been found dead under similar circumstances, all within a few miles of the M25. It soon becomes clear that a serial killer has turned the M25 into his own killing playground. Can you help Detective Anderson catch him before it's too late? On your own or with friends and family, play these games to test your investigation skills. This isn't just a police case file you'll work your way through. There are puzzles and codes to crack, plenty of evidence to review from nine murders. There are two games available for you to order right now. And exclusively for listeners to this podcast, you can enjoy a 20% discount on your order. Just head to www.crimetimegames.co.uk and use the code UKTRUECRIME for 20% off. As always, a huge thank you to all my supporters at Patreon, but especially the new members of this community. That is Kelly Disney-Smith, Victoria Redman and Sam Brockett. Thank you so much for your support. And I have two serial killer games from Crime Time Games to give away to supporters at Patreon. So if you'd like to win one or both games, please just head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. Okay, so let's quickly set some context for today's story with our guest the month and year game. Top of the UK charts was friend of the show, The Bieber, with What Do You Mean? In the US, The Wanted topped the charts with The Hills. 
and in Australia, it was one of the classic albums of all time, which was at the top of the charts. It was Aya from Parkway Drive. No, me neither. In the news this month, the cargo ship El Faro went missing with 33 crew during a hurricane near the Bahamas. US President Barack Obama apologised to Doctors Without Borders President and the President of Afghanistan for the bombing of a hospital. And a bombing at a peace rally in Ankara, Turkey killed at least 95 people, injuring 200. This month saw England losing their own Rugby World Cup to Australia, eliminating them from the tournament. And finally, in UK true crime news, Merseyside police began a major search after one of their officers, dad of two young daughters, Abigail and Sophie. 34-year-old David Phillips died after being hit by a stolen pickup truck he was trying to stop. 19-year-old Clayton Williams was jailed the following year for just 20 months for manslaughter. His widow, Jen, spoke movingly in court about her daughter, Abigail, saying, Her daddy was her hero, her knight in shining armour, her police officer daddy, who caught bad criminals. Now she has to live with the reality that the bad guy won by taking her daddy, her hero, who made her feel safe and secure. While Williams tried to cover up his tracks, Abigail was in hospital with me, where I had to tell her that her daddy had died. So did you guess the month and year? It was October 2015. Josh Hansen was born on Sunday the 27th of February 1994 at Central Middlesex Hospital at 3.24am. A younger brother to his sister Brooke who had been born four years earlier, Josh was a happy young boy, always smiling and laughing with a really gentle and kind approach to all those around him. Josh left school with five GCSEs and from here he went to college in Watford to West Hearts College where he left with a BTEC in sports science and qualified as a personal trainer. But after leaving he decided this wasn't the career he wished to follow. Josh was really ambitious and hardworking and he applied for a job as a planner for Stanmore Quality Surfacing and was offered the position the day after his interview. Josh thrived in this role. It was hard work, he was up at 5 o'clock every morning, but he was sure he had made the right decision. Josh and his sister Brooke remained close throughout their childhood and teens, and when we joined the story in October 2015, 21-year-old Josh was still very close to his sister. They shared friends, holidays and nights out, with both always looking out for the other. They lived together with their mum Tracy, but on the night of the 10th of October 2015, the brother and sister weren't together. That evening, Josh had gone to the hospital with his girlfriend Lucy after her dad suffered a suspected heart attack. Afterwards, they met up with his cousin and a small group of mates for a drink at the RE Bar in Hillingdon in north-west London, about 15 miles from Charing Cross. It wasn't a particularly busy night and as the bar was closing, there were about 40 people there. Another man approached Josh. Josh had never met him before and asked him, what's your problem? To which Josh replied, I don't have a problem. The stranger, 
reached in his pocket for a Stanley knife and in the blink of an eye suddenly raised his right hand, holding the blade to a level above the head of Josh. He then brought the blade down in a sweeping, slashing motion, aimed at her and striking the exposed skin of Josh Hansen's ear, neck and chest. This terrible attack left a 37 centimetre long, gaping wound from Josh's left ear to his right chest. Josh instinctively clasped his neck where the blood was gushing out and he stumbled to the floor. Immediately his cousin Reese, his girlfriend Lucy, his friends and strangers in the bar, one of whom was a nurse, did all they could do to keep Josh alive and gave him CPR until the paramedics arrived. But the wounds he had received were too severe and Josh effectively choked on his own blood. Josh Hansen was 21 when he died on the floor of that bar in Hillingdon. We will come back to the man who killed Josh shortly, but first, let's look at what happened next to Josh's family. Josh's mum Tracy later explained what had happened on the night her son was attacked, saying, I got a call saying Josh had been stabbed. My immediate response was to ask where, and as soon as I was told the neck, my heart just sank. Tracy and her daughter Brooke got in the car and raced to the bar to see Josh. But at 1.15, they received another call with the terrible news that Josh had died in the bar. Tracy would later say, Brooke and I had to pull over in the road and sit in total shock on our way back to the bar because we'd hoped and prayed on the frantic journey that he would be okay, that there might be some hope, but we were minutes away from Josh when he took his last breath. Not being able to be with him, to hold him, to comfort him or to try to do something, anything, to help save his life is a pain that I live with and will continue to live with every day for the rest of my life. And it got worse when Tracy arrived at the venue. She said, when I got to the bar they wouldn't let me see him. I just went into profound shock. It's hard to describe. It's ripped my life apart. And although Josh was pronounced dead at 1.10am, he wasn't moved from the floor where he died until 5pm that day, after all the forensic experts had done their work. His mum Tracy again. This was the first time I was physically allowed near my son. He was covered in a blanket and held down by straps. I got to gently run my hand across the outline of his beautiful face, chest, arms and hands before he was taken to the mortuary. The mortuary was miles from my home. I wasn't allowed to go there as I had to wait for the autopsy to be carried out, but I could see him some two days later. Sometimes for the identification of the body, we say this in just a sentence, and it doesn't really cover the reality of what it's actually like. So let me quote today from Josh's mum about exactly how this felt. She said, I had to officially identify Josh's body at the mortuary and my heart that was already broken is now shattered to pieces. The injury that Josh received is barbaric and to see my beautiful son laying there, maimed, has shot me to my core. As a mother, I would do all I can to keep my son's memory alive as the handsome man he was and not the one I had to see yesterday. He was a humble young man who I told every day that I loved him and was proud of him for all that he represented, hard-working, caring, 
loyal and kind. Josh's funeral in Kilburn, northwest London, saw the church packed and was followed by a family cremation at Hendon. The wake was nearby and a chance for friends and family to celebrate his life by playing one of his favourite games, roulette. Josh's lucky number was four, and he usually played this number at roulette. They also listened to some of his favourite music while looking out on the pitch where he'd had his school sports days. And what of the man who had committed this dreadful crime? He was quickly identified as 27-year-old Sean O'Brien, father of two. He already had 17 previous convictions, two of which were for knife offences. The last one being just a year before the fatal attack. Now, if he had been sent to prison, as he should have done, he would not have been on the streets and able to kill Josh. But for now, detectives were looking forward at how they could find him. The CCTV in the bar was excellent, and the lead detective described the significance of this, saying, Seizing CCTV from the bar was so crucial to our investigation that we raced our engineer across London on blues and twos. We know attempts were being made to destroy it. This fast response meant we could quickly prove O'Brien's identity as the man we sought via fingerprint work on the cups he drank from that night. At that stage, we didn't know a great deal about him, but call it instinct if you like, somehow this felt different from other murders. The CCTV fully captured the attack and showed it was completely unprovoked. O'Brien had come into the bar with some friends an hour or so after Josh and had been sitting opposite Josh, who'd been standing facing him with his back to a wall. After the assault, the CCTV showed O'Brien calmly walking out of the bar, across the road and into a white van. As well as looking at his previous convictions, detectives quickly established that O'Brien had no job in the UK, no bank account and he spent his summers in Ibiza and had returned home just a couple of weeks before he killed Josh. They circulated O'Brien's picture and details, hoping the shock of the unprovoked attack would cause people to come forward, and this is exactly what happened. O'Brien had fled to Camber Sands Caravan Park in Kent. The detective takes up the story. There followed painstaking and time-consuming work to examine CCTV in and around the caravan park and try to work out if he was there, what car he had travelled in. We found a black VW Golf that fitted. That enabled us to track its movements and then what O'Brien did in the time following his attack on Josh. And what we saw was astounding. You would never know that this man had just killed another in cold blood. O'Brien was seen casually enjoying a curry with a friend, posing in front of a mirror, even getting the leftovers in a bag to go and then spending a couple of hours at Ashford Designer Outlet. You think that a man in his position might quickly grab the first thing on the shelf and make off, but no, as the CCTV shows, he carefully selected and tried on trousers and shirts, even asking a shop assistant for help with collar sizing at one point, and always paying in cash. He was careful about that. Detectives knew it was a race against time, but O'Brien had solid criminal connections 
and through a contact known as Vanessa, he flew to the Netherlands in a private charter plane from Biggin Hill Airport in Kent. Detectives were hot on his trail, but missed him by just a matter of hours. The international manhunt was now on. Josh's family were just waiting for the crucial piece of evidence to find him, but it seemed elusive. There were sightings all over Europe. Detectives believed that some were designed to throw them off the scent, but most were well-intentioned. And then there was a definite sighting in Prague in the Czech Republic. O'Brien was arrested in Prague in 2017 for assault, but he slipped through the net after using the alias Enzo Melancelli and fleeing when released on bail. The lead detective said, As we know in Prague, his temper boiled up, leading to his arrest for a scuffle in a nightclub, a mistake on his part, or maybe not. He was so confident and arrogant when arrested, it was clear that this was no big deal for him. He was bailed. It was a low-level offence. But fingerprints were taken, and later proactive computer searches were requested revealed his true identity. While frustrating that we were so close, we had new images we could publicise, and they showed a man who looked really fit and strong, who had grown his hair. He had boxing gloves on him when arrested, and this gave us leads to follow up in local gyms, plus we traced the barber, who had cut O'Brien's hair several times. O'Brien said he was Australian, but he didn't have the accent to match. We also found the tattooist he'd visited to cover up his existing tattoos. A huge tattoo of a skull and an owl on his back to cover his daughter's name. We still hadn't got our hands on O'Brien, but it was progress and it was hope. Every little bit of information we obtained helped us build a picture and was another piece of the puzzle towards finding him. There were several arrests along the way. The man who chartered the plane and accompanied O'Brien out of the UK was later convicted of importing 100 kilos of heroin and cocaine along with 30 encrypted phones. The pilots were convicted in the Netherlands of importing more than 90 kilos of heroin. O'Brien, he had some interesting friends. But there was still no sign of O'Brien or the justice desperately needed by Josh's friends and family. But with a £50,000 reward on his head and the net closing, suddenly there was an unexpected breakthrough. DCI Noel McHugh takes up the story. Late on Thursday the 21st of March this year, I was called by O'Brien's brief, based in the UK, saying that O'Brien was considering handing himself in and wanted me to travel to Budapest to personally meet him. My immediate thought was why. Really, he could have walked into any police station and handed himself in as one of the world's most wanted men. Was this a trick to waste our time and resources getting out there, only to find he was long gone somewhere else? Then it changed and we were told the meet location was now Romania. We were then able to alert the Romanian authorities, who did some brilliant work, and they got him detained with three mobile phones and counterfeit documentation. DCI McHugh was there in person to watch the plane land, and he said, For me, those three and a half years until we got him were a lens into the pain a family without justice can suffer. 
O'Brien was taken to Heathrow Police Station and the DCI personally charged him, not something a DCI would normally do, but he felt he had to complete the story. When he was charged, O'Brien didn't react. He didn't say a thing. It transpired that during his time on the run, friends helped the boxing and martial arts fan O'Brien lay low and move between Germany, Belgium and the Czech Republic. O'Brien, in police interviews, told a very different story of what had happened that night. It was the Rugby World Cup, and he and his friends had watched the England-Uruguay match before heading to the RE bar. And it was there that he claimed that Josh Hansen immediately became hostile towards him. From his posture, I would describe him as raring to go. I felt he was ready to attack me. It kept getting worse and worse. It seemed like something was going to happen. He was smirking at me in the way I would describe as if only you knew what is about to happen to you. That's what I would describe it as. Looks, discreet aggressive conversations directed at us. Josh did not take his eyes off me. The whole time he's focused on me very aggressively. So why did O'Brien have a Stanley knife in his pocket? Well, he had an answer saying he'd bought it earlier that day to open cardboard boxes from his return from Ibiza and he'd never ever intended to use it on Josh. Just planned to frighten him, he said. I approached him. In that split second, it felt like I froze. That moment froze for a second when I made that action. I didn't mean to connect in any way. I meant to scare him off. At the conclusion of the two-week trial, An Old Bailey jury took just 55 minutes to unanimously convict O'Brien of murdering Josh. O'Brien showed no emotion as he was jailed for life with a minimum term of 26 years. Mum Tracy and Sister Brooke read out emotional victim impact statements as he appeared to be sentenced. Tracy tearfully described her son as considerate, kind and generous a man who was a rising star in his work. She said, On October 11th, 2015, my life changed forever. Josh's sister, Brooke, said, Josh was not just my brother, he was my best friend. She said his smile was infectious and his presence magical. She told the court she had suffered from anxiety and post-traumatic stress, always wondering if she could have protected him from the evil that took him away. And finally, Josh's grandma, now 80, had her statement read out in court. She said, There is not a day when I don't think about my grandson. I cry for him every day, what he went through and how he suffered. Sentencing O'Brien, the judge told him, You approached Josh Hansen, who was standing with his girlfriend, and you slashed him using a razor-sharp Stanley knife from his left ear across his neck causing a wound 37 centimetres long that gaped to about 85 centimetres wide. The wound caused bleeding to his neck. You cut his windpipe and as a result he died as blood entered his airways. He died in effect from drowning in his own blood. You walked away and left Josh Hansen to die in front of his shocked and traumatised friends. Josh Hansen didn't know you. He'd done nothing to provoke any reaction from you let alone violence of this sort. 
your account they threatened you with looks and gestures, was, even if it was true, incapable of amounting to any justification for the way you acted. Your assertion that the injuries were caused by accidents was rejected by the jury. Josh had not seen you holding the knife in your hand. He can have had no idea what you were about to do. This was a grotesque, violent and totally unnecessary attack on an innocent man. The reason why you behave such a way may never be explained. You, however, know why you did. It's clear from when you looked up at the CCTV camera that you had formed the intention to stab Josh Hansen. Having injured Josh, you walked calmly away, folding the knife as you left. You showed no feeling for Josh or anyone else you left behind. You knew you had killed him. Words can't express the hurt and damage you've caused. You murdered Josh Hansen in front of people who were enjoying their night out. This death was particularly unpleasant and distinguishes it from other deaths caused by knives. It amounts to a random attack on an otherwise pleasant evening. You evaded the criminal justice system and you prolonged their suffering. You remained at large and an international police manhunt was launched to try and find you. As O'Brien was led away, emotions were running high, with one man screaming, Fucking kill yourself, you fucking little twat. I'll smash your fucking face in. The manhunt also took its toll on detectives. Let's go back to DCI Noel McHugh, who said that the four-year investigation had been heartbreaking, overwhelming and all-consuming for his team of officers. It's been a long and complex investigation and we feel it. During the last almost four years, officers have joined my team, been promoted, retired, and two DCs died suddenly of cancer within six weeks of each other. DC Venart, who had taken that initial breakthrough call, and DC Bernie Looney, another hugely valued colleague and friends. So during the trial, I had a lump in my throat as I heard evidence gathered by amazing officers who are no longer with us. Can I suggest that you take a look at the website set up by Josh's family? It's at www.thejoshhansontrust.org where you can read not only his mum's blogs and I defy you not to be moved to tears by her pain and grief and her strength but also the amazing work they are doing on combating violent crime as a family. So what do you make of what we've heard today? As I said at the very start of this episode, this crime took literally seconds and yet ruined so many lives. The RE bar was just a basic bar in a perfectly normal part of London. It is, of course, horrifying to know that such mindless, unprovoked violence could happen in such a place. But as we know, as true crime fans... It can happen anywhere at any time, right? We should spare a thought for O'Brien's children and family who have had to live with what he has done and the lives he has destroyed and what he is. But only a fleeting thought, I think. For his actions, he'll be locked up until he's at least 57. But at that age, he still has time to have a family and a life, plenty of time, which is something he denied Josh. Josh Hansen, 21, 
a man with so much going for him and everything to live for. And yet all that hope and promise wiped out in those few seconds in a random bar by a stranger. Our hearts go out to his friends and family for their loss. I'm also full of admiration, I'm sure you are too, about how they've used their grief to help others. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime, please head to the Facebook group where almost 80,000 of us talk true crime 24-7. Just head to Facebook and search UK True Crime. I promise you it's many things. It's never dull. (laughs) It's never dull. And to support the show, join my community at Patreon. It's the place to be for bonus episodes and other exclusive content, including the chance to win backstage tickets to my forthcoming live shows and to win the serial killer games from our friends at Crime Time Games. So that's all for me for another week. Join me again on Tuesday for another story from the UK's 37th most popular UK true crime podcaster. So until next week, despite all the others, please do stay classy. Cheerio for now.